Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, where we are set to continue our reflections into the book of Genesis, into this all-important text that really does lay the foundation for just not any study on the Bible, but really that necessary foundation to better understand who we are. I believe, my friends, that it is so important sometimes to just take a step back and remember what the Bible is, right? But our family heirloom, our family heirloom. So as I welcome all of you into the studio this evening, I do so with a question, and it is this. How important is the Bible in your life right now? Is it the most important aspect of who you are? Are you spending that necessary time in the Bible that you need to be spending each and every day? Right? What does St. Jerome say? Ignorance of scriptures, ignorance of Christ. How much time are you spending with the Bible? So this is a very important question for us as we seek to continue to treat the book of Genesis. And as we do, mindful that this is our family heirloom. Huh? I mean, think about it. If you were to look at all of the books, what do you have but 73 chapters to this great family heirloom? 46 old, 27 new, right? 73 beautiful chapters. If you want to come to know uh, who you are in the spiritual life and, and where you're going, where do you have to start? In the first chapter. And that's why we study the book of Genesis. And as we do, we're asking all of those important questions about how does this apply to my life today? So, how much time are you spending with sacred scripture? How many minutes are you spending with sacred scripture? I love to draw from that all-important truth that there are over 1,400 minutes in a day. I think exactly it's 1,440 minutes in a day. If we sleep away approximately 440 of those minutes, how many minutes are you then left with in a day? But approximately 1,000, right? What are you doing with those thousand minutes? Are you in courtship with God, breaking open sacred scripture? Are you spending that necessary time with God? The Bible is, again, our family heirloom, and we need to be spending time with that family heirloom. And now, you might be asking the question, gosh, Joe, this week you just jumped right into it. Well, if we're going to understand uh, chapters 12 through 50, which is that next phase of Bible history, right, then we have to understand the importance of the family heirloom. Again, if you were to look at the Bible as a historical narrative, and, and again, the Bible isn't history, but it has history in it. Uh, so you can look at how God has worked in salvation history with specific attention paid to certain books. What do I mean by that? Well, there are 14 books that if you were to read sequentially, it reads like a historical narrative, right? Now, the thing of it is, it's salvation history, and so there's a lot more than just history, and so there's a lot of other books. 
But that being said, what are those 14 books? The book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, uh, the book of Numbers, the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, then we have the book of Maccabees, and then we go into the New Testament. What are the two books in the New Testament that kind of carry that narrative? But the Gospel of Luke, and then of course the book of Acts. And as many of us know, Acts is authored by Luke, so that would make sense. So those are, so those are the books that carry the narrative, the narrative of salvation history. And we have all of these other books because this history is unlike any other history. It's salvation history. And so if we're going to understand what salvation history is all about, the Old Testament and the New Testament, this one divine drama, there's a lot of minutia that speaks to law and, and the prophets. And subsequently in the New Testament, what the life of the church looks like in grace. So there you have it. Kind of the, the soundbite summary to how to best approach this family heirloom as it relates to understanding it within the context of history. Now again, I talk about this because in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through chapter 50, we have the patriarchal narratives, this second phase in history, biblical history. Now, for many of us, these are just folktales, legends, or, or maybe epic sagas, something like the Lord of the Rings. Some consider these stories uh, free creations of a later age. However, my friends, the stories of the patriarchs are best regarded as genuine family history. Genuine family history. Here we should remember what we have said before on this all-important topic of memory. Because I think memory has a very important part to play in our discussion this evening. What is memory but the chief faculty of our soul, that most prolific catalyst of the human spirit? As St. Augustine once called it, the vast and immeasurable sanctuary. Essentially, my friends, without memory, as we've spoken to it before, we would effectively cease to be who we are, to be ourselves as we know it, as we've come to understand who we are. I mean, I could no longer make a phone call to a loved one if I didn't have a memory. I could no longer be able to make a quick run to the store if I didn't have my memory. I could no longer call my brother on his birthday if I didn't remember his birthday, right? In other words, my friends, I could no longer be the father, husband, brother, son, uncle, and so on that I was called to be if I didn't have my memory. Memory, my friends, is the soul of our relationships. It, it routes our whole being and in interpersonal communion with the larger family of God. Everything we touch, smell, see, and act upon, all of our senses is filtered through this immense womb we call the memory. Now, what's important for us to understand, especially within the context of Genesis chapter 12, is that memory is not reduced just to individuals, but also to human groups, right? Families, tribes, clans, and nations. They all have a collective memory. This is why today, 
you know, human groups don't find their collective wealth and, and communal identity in stocks and bonds as much as some of us might think that. In reality, we don't. What's today? President's Day, right? There's a reason why we celebrate, on a national level, certain holidays. Independence Day, Memorial Day, President's Day. It's all about remembering the birth of our nation. So by celebrating particular events in the past, and again, if you were to personalize this, this could be applied to the birthdays and anniversaries, we are doing more than just matting a picture on the wall. We are making present the past to gain a deeper understanding and appreciation of who we are in the present. I mean, think about it. How many of us have been a part of a recent celebration where there was more than just remembering going on, but storytelling that was life-giving? And oh, were the ancients masters of this. Within our own circles, we have accumulated and inherited all sorts of customs and lore that stir the heart. Where did this come from? But the, the great masters of the ancients. Brothers and sisters, we do these things, and these things have always been done because there is purpose and reason behind them. We are to move beyond this idea that memory is just some random psychological exercise of retrieving data. But in the end, the faculty that tells us who we are as a human person and then more collectively as a nation. We have traditions because they link us to our ancestors. And in so doing, we carry on this kind of conversation with them. We could say there is a certain dynamism that comes with being able to identify where we come from so as to better understand who we are and where we are going. So what you have going on in spades as it relates to the events of Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, all the way through chapter 50, is something written down that was handed on from memory, yeah, but one that was imbued with a deep sense of identity and consequently, my friends, detail, detail. The ancients have a lot to tell us about the minutia of such detail, do they not? All right, now, as we get into just a more topical treatment of Genesis chapters 12 through 50, we are also reminded that not only do the main characters and events have a solid claim to historical truth or historicity, but we should also remember, my friends, and make note that a number of supporting details have been verified by modern research as well, and, and we're going to get into some of this as we go through these chapters. Certainly, several considerations favor the authenticity of Genesis chapters 12 through 50, and really do make it unlikely that these chapters were either fabricated by later storytellers, or maybe it could be said substantially altered with non-historical elements in the course of a lengthy uh, oral transmission. I, I suppose on a level, this might be some of our contention with Genesis, Genesis chapters 12 through 50. So I, I want to pause here and consider some of these, and the Ignatius commentary lays out five of these key points when considering the authenticity of Genesis chapters 12 through 50. And I know to some degree this is going to answer some of your questions out there, to the least of which is, how can the authenticity of Genesis chapters 12 through 50 be authenticated? Joe, you know, you, you've said that the story of Abraham roughly begins in 1850 BC. How do we know that? Well, these are the things that we need to start thinking about in response to that question. The first of which is this, that 
The patriarchal stories are in many ways sober and restraining in dealing with the miraculous. So in these narratives, you have attention given to God and his actions, but not in ways that suppress the authentically human dimension of the narrative, right? So that's something to be thinking about. This is why I have often said, and the Catechism takes this up, when you go through Genesis chapters 12 through 50, so much insight can be gained and has been gained when studying these great figures because their human dimension has been so well explicated. Point number two here, the accounts give every impression of being objective. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Well, what does it mean to speak of the objective versus the subjective? Well, the subjective deals with the uh, hidden, unknown, unseen. You know, you just, you can't identify something for what it is because you can't see it. The objective is external, revealed, seen, something that you can identify, okay, is right from wrong or black from white or so on and so forth. Okay, so what is objective is very important. I mean, no obvious effort is made to idealize the patriarchs by maybe hiding their weaknesses or, or excusing their failures. Despite being the founding fathers of God's holy people, when you really take a close look at these texts, what do you discover? They are portrayed in very unflattering light. Just consider the major figures in of themselves. Abraham and Isaac certainly are less than truthful. Jacob and Rebekah are quite deceptive. And most of Jacob's sons, his ancestors of the tribes of Israel, struggled with what? But deep hatred, deep anger, deep jealousy. That in of itself should speak to us. I mean, would we not want to hide such flaws in our family heirloom. You know, when you get to know a person and their family history, there might be that natural tendency to cover up what they don't want to talk about. But brothers and sisters, God didn't do that, right? Our family tree, while it is full of iniquity and full of maybe things that we might be shameful of if we are going to claim Judaism as our parents, and, and we should and we ought because that's, that's what divine revelation is all about, then yeah, there are things there that we might want to turn away from, and maybe we do. Maybe we say to ourselves, well, that just doesn't make sense because Abraham and Jacob were like this or that. Don't do that. Don't cover up because it's a part of divine revelation, and God wants us to see that in spite of your iniquity, my grace overcomes. Despite your sin, my mercy is greater. And that's why the Old and New Testament, to simplify the Bible, is about a testifying to what? But the greatness of God's love in his mercy. So uh, God isn't hiding anything, right? <laughs> I think that to be a provocative point, really, to think about critically if you're going to suggest that these narratives have been fabricated. All right, what else could be said here? Well, how about the fact that the patriarchs live at variance with the standards of the Torah later erected for Israel? I mean, think about it. Abraham married his paternal half-sister, which of course was contrary to the law found in Leviticus chapter 18. Jacob married two sisters at the same time, 
which again is contrary to the law found in Leviticus chapter 18. Jacob also consecrated sacred pillars, which of course is also contrary to the law of Deuteronomy. Judah and Simeon, what did they do? But they married Canaanite women. So all throughout these narratives, you have stories of religious heroes that would not likely be told in this way unless they were believed to rest on historical facts pointing to a deeper truth. How about point number four, that the patriarchs always appear as outsiders and sojourners in the land of Canaan? This would probably not be the case if their stories were later inventions, right? More likely, this is the point that the Ignatius commentary picks up, that national propagandists would have made them natives of Canaan. And certainly that would have given Israel an ancestral claim to the promised land and not simply some theological claim based on an ancient covenant with God. And how about, my friends, the fact that the patriarchs fit comfortably within the cultural, social, and religious environment of the Middle Bronze Age, which, of course, dates from what, but 2000 B.C. to roughly 1500 B.C.? Archaeological finds, though not necessarily attesting to the existence of the patriarchs as individuals, I mean, I've talked about this before, very much do confirm the general manner of life depicted in Genesis, as well as specific uh, features, we could say, related to uh, adoption, surrogate motherhood, restitution, and to some extent, even uh, the price of slaves. What's my point here? is that in the end, when you take a careful look at Genesis chapters 12 through 50, the narratives themselves speak to something that is much deeper. My friends, if we're going to be critical of these chapters on the surface, what you have to do is dig deeper and ask the necessary questions so as to arrive at the, the deeper truth regarding sacred scripture. Uh, which is one that always speaks to the unconventional, right? And if we don't believe that, then just look at the cross. All right, all of that being said, that's kind of a, an intro into Genesis chapters 12 through 50. With that, we have the story of Abraham. Uh, now, the story of Abraham, of course, is a story that depicts the great-grandfather of, of Israel. Remember, Abraham is the father to Isaac, and Isaac is the father to Jacob, and Jacob fathers the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. So he stands tall in biblical history as a pillar of faith, but he does so because, of course, his righteousness and his obedience. If you were to go into the letter to the Hebrews, chapter, what is it, um, Chapter 11, verses 8 to 19, we read of Abraham and the greatness of his righteousness, his holiness, and the greatness of his obedience. But more than just a, a model of heroic trust in God, which he is, Abraham is presented in Genesis as also what but a divinely chosen mediator of worldwide blessings. A promise that, of course, is reaffirmed with Isaac in chapter 26 and Jacob in chapter 28. So, let us read here 
ever so briefly the opening verses of The Call of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse. And by you all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. Oh, rich verses, my friends, rich verses. Um, by the way, before we go any further, remember what we talked about last week? Go back to chapter 11. Uh, what was it? Verse 4, I think it was. Da, 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 da. Yes, chapter 11, verse 4, and of course the narrative of the Tower of Babel, as we talked about last week. In verse 4 we read, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So there, in chapter 11, verse 4, you have this business of them making a name for themselves. And now here, in verse 2, we read, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. <laughs> and make your name great. My dear friends, we don't become great by our own doing. Anything that is good, anything that is great is by God's doing. Father Mike and I, I think we we're talking about this a little bit last week in a reflection on the Incredibles, believe it or not, right? Where we were talking about what defines greatness, what defines excellence, that moral interior disposition to say no to one thing from the secular world so as to say yes to what God offers us, mindful that behind every no is an immeasurable greater yes. True greatness, my friends, is to allow God first and foremost to invade our souls through and through. True greatness always starts with an identification of what is, well, true. To identify a thing for what it is, a person for who he is. True greatness starts with nothing more than recognizing who you are as a son or daughter of God. This is widely important because there is a tendency to look at greatness by what we do. Right now, there is, there is a discussion being bantied about as it relates to who is the greatest basketball player of all time. So there is this discussion on achievement particular to the likes of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and all of those NBA stars. Okay, I get it. You look at their curriculum vitae, if you will, right? Their list of credentials. And you can maybe speak to who is the greatest basketball player of all time. But once you establish greatness in relation to what you do and not first who you are, then you will miss the boat. Certainly, what we do is a measure of greatness, but such greatness, my friends, will only be realized in the Christian context if we first understand who we are as a son or daughter of God. So circling back to the Tower of Babel, they were collapsing into their own ego drama, right? Me, myself, and I, I want to make my name great, as opposed to what we see 
in this initial calling of Abram and what God has in store for him. And certainly, as we will engage it from one verse to the next, we will see, as we've already touched upon his righteousness and obedience, that Abram understands that true greatness starts with his yes to God. I mean, yes, we can talk about Abraham and all that he did as our spiritual forefather, but all of that happened because of his yes to God and his understanding that he was nothing without God. So I dwell on this topic of greatness because I want us to understand that if you are busy about making your name great, then let it start with who you are as a son or daughter of God and then ask the question. Yeah, my name is Joe, Joseph, a name that means guardian of truth. How do I make that name great as it was a name bestowed on me by my parents who were inspired by God to give me such a name, Joseph, guardian of truth? I can only be the guardian of truth that I'm called to be insofar as I cling to God as father. Amen? Amen. Okay. My dear friends, we will begin a real exploration tomorrow of chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And what I want to do, and, and tomorrow is going to be very important for us, and I'm going to pull out the commentaries, is really get into the significance of those three verses as they speak to the great covenant with Abraham, the great Abrahamic covenant. And I'm going to ask that you pray with chapters 12, verses 1 to 3, before tomorrow, that you can sink deeper into what we engage by way of our principal subject matter. Okay? All right. So, if you have any questions about anything we have talked about this evening or any question that has been lingering on your heart, please do not hesitate to email me. As always, you can go to uh, j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com or just go to my website at joholcraft.org. And uh, just hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. Also, as many of you know, I, I try to blog as much as I can there, and I put up some book reviews. I've been busy with a lot of other stuff. I'm going to be re-engaging that, um, hopefully this week, to get some more blogs and book reviews up. But if you want to read those pieces, please don't hesitate to do so. And if you want to go back to some past radio programs, we have been on the air every day now for four years and so there's lots there if, if you just want to kind of peruse through those programs. Okay, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.